1982, the cost of film production and distribution were exploding at an alarming rate. Big budgets and multiples of tens of millions of dollars had become the norm. A senior executive at Columbia Pictures by the name of Victor Kaufman came up with a plan to share the risks of modern film production and distribution. He aligned Columbia Pictures with upstart cable company HBO and renowned broadcast network CBS to form the first new major Hollywood studio since RKO had been founded in 1928. The new production and distribution studio was named TriStar Pictures, representing the three entities that made it up. It was an ingenious plan. By all three entities splitting the hard cost of production, they all could individually profit. The TriStar distribution arm got the theatrical revenue, HBO got exclusive pay cable rights, and CBS got exclusive broadcast rights. How does the white horse figure into this? Oh, we'll get there. <laughs> and then the films were released on home video on a rotating basis by RCA Columbia Home Video, CBS Fox Video, and HBO Canon Video. 1984 was their first year of distributing films. Their first release was a negative pickup of the film Where the Boys Are, 84, which was a remake of the 1960 film Where the Boys Are. It flopped. However, their next film was The Natural, starring Robert Redford, and was a massive hit and garnered four Oscar nominations. 1984 continued to be a fantastic success for the young studio, with films The Last Winter, The Muppets Take Manhattan, Meatballs Part 2, Flashpoint, Places in the Heart, which received many Academy Award nominations and resulted in Sally Field winning the Best Actress for her performance in the film. Also, the films Blame It on the Night, Loveliness, Supergirl, Birdie, Runaway, and Break into Electric Boogaloo, although while that film was originally produced by Canon, it was distributed by TriStar, were all massively successful. All of this success would come crashing down on the 9th of November with the release of a film that gathered the most intense public protests since Deep Throat. Within two weeks, the film was pulled from theaters due to intense public outcry, and CBS pulled out of their deal with TriStar to avoid boycotts of their television program sponsors. Its release created an irrevocable stain on the horror genre and gave birth to the right-wing movement against pop culture that eventually created the PMRC, headed by Tipper Gore, the Moral Majority, and the Citizens Against Movie Madness. Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert took time out of their program to publicly shame TriStar, its parent companies, and the filmmakers who made the film. They literally said that any made money made from this film should be considered blood money. Oh, God. This film is the one we're <laughs> watching tonight, Silent Night, Deadly Night. It's time to watch a movie you've never seen. There might be some ninjas or a crazy death machine. But there will be smiles there'll be tears you won't watch another movie for about 800 years it's time for death by video time for death by video Christmas, everybody! Ho, 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 ho! It's Death by Video, and I'm Phil. <laughs> I'm Kit. I'm Lil. Ho, ho, ho! And I'm Graham, saying <laughs> welcome back to another episode of Death by Video. Tonight we are watching one of the most notorious Christmas films of all time, most notorious films of all time, Silent Night, Deadly Night. I've got a ton 
of research on this movie to go through. However, I'm going to wait until we have, after we've watched it because I want all of you guys to go in cold. None of you here have seen it, right? I've never seen it, no. No, I haven't. No, I don't think so. Ooh, this is going to be good. Um, it, you will never look at Christmas the same way again. So uh, we should. I just want to point out that unlike last year where we recorded our Christmas episode close to Christmas and then it didn't come out until this year, this year we're actually recording our Christmas episode early in November, which is why my Halloween decorations are still up. But, and, yes. uh, as, as fate would have it, it is the first full snowfall of the year. That is true. That, is a, that right is a good omen. Um, yeah, so we're going to be watching this film. So, guys, before we get into it, let's start off with our regularly sick, regular statement. What movies have we watched since we last recorded? Phil, go ahead. All right, so since the premonition, I have most... Well, they've mostly been rewatches. Okay. So, um, Possession. Saw mm-hmm. that at the Royal. Yeah. That was a notable rewatch. Uh, saw Juice at the Lightbox. For nice, I'm sad I missed that one. And uh, rewatched Desperately Seeking Susan. I forget how many cameos there are in that movie. The three identical strangers, Victor Argo, John Turturro, mm-hmm. Richard Hell. Well, it's like all those great New York movies of the early to mid John 80s. Murray, yeah. So many like cameos, but especially John Lurie, Richard Hell. Richard Hell was in so many movies. Oh, yeah. yeah. Anything else interesting? Um... It's a movie that is very problematic, but I somewhat liked. Uh, Ooh, what is it's it? It's a 52 pickup with Roy Scheider. Oh, I've seen that movie, yeah. This is very it problematic. Is, it's it's so skeevy, but the villains are mm-hmm. amazing in it. Uh, John Glover yeah. of, from Gremlins 2. Uh, yeah, I know. And Clarence Williams third is fantastic mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, I just love how his... <laughs> when Roy Scheider tells his wife that he cheated on her, he's like, well, it's not like I planned for it to happen. Happened and that was kind of yeah, uh, kind of it. And he reveals it 15 minutes into the movie. Yeah, because you think it would be like a sort of a third mm-hmm. act reveal or something, but no. Yeah, it's like yep, I've been blackmailed and I've been shooting on you. But you know what? It's problematic, but it's still an enjoyable film. Yeah, I enjoy it. I know. It's like pieces. We can all look past the misogyny because yeah. we know it's enjoyable. Yeah, no woman emerges unscathed in that no, movie. No, not a single one. No. No. I guess pieces has, there, a, yeah. pieces has a leg up on that because, like, uh, uh, I mean, she gets drugged, but the the tennis coach doesn't get hurt really. Yeah. Old uh, Johnny, you know, scores a lot, gets his you know balls ripped off. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, Kit, have you seen anything interesting since we last recorded? Fifty two fifty two pickup is also a terrible card game. It is. Uh, yeah. Played it a few times. Never had fun playing it. It's not fun. Um, what did I watch? Not not very much. Uh, I rewatched Superbad, oddly enough. Oh, yeah? It was just, I don't know. Yeah, Matt and Ray were does over. Does it hold up 11 years later? Uh, yeah, I'd say it does. It It's aged, obviously. Some of the language, yeah. I think, um, that they're pretty freewheeling with. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but that is, like, man, it so documents what my high school experience was, which mm-hmm. is a very, like, I guess a particular white guy, suburban type high school experience, but that very much mm-hmm. was close to mine so it has a special place in my heart that movie i think it's good yeah stuff. for a lot of people i think it brought back van halen yeah that's oh I see. Yeah, yeah that's right yeah the use of panama really got a lot of panama. people i noticed it it picked up on radio after that i don't doubt it yeah mm-hmm. it'd be very similar to wayne's world and bohemian rhapsody yeah right? exactly <clears throat> well, not quite as, as no, big not as big. As that. Yeah. It didn't make it a number one hit again, like it did for Bohemian Rhapsody. Where they like re-released a music video yeah. with mm-hmm. the Wayne's World guys. 
Yeah. Um, Remember the early 90s when you could re-release an old song with a new music video and it would become a hit again? Yeah, the, what was funny about it was that Mike Myers had to fight tooth and nail to have Bohemian yeah, Rhapsody. I know, because they wanted to have like Guns N' Roses or something. Yeah. And he was like, no, that doesn't really represent my childhood of growing up in, you know, being a teenager in Scarborough. Because the entire 80s soundtrack to that movie, apart from Bohemian Rhapsody, is 80s butt rock. Yeah. And it came out like right, right, right when butt rock was over. Yeah. So, uh, I know, it was like when the mullet had finally died out. Yeah. Butt rock? I don't know. <laughs> it, 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 it's so useful though, because it's like you know, butt rock. Um, do you know what they've described the 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 two thousands, like two thousand three to two thousand ten, uh, you know, metal that we all forget? Like they call it butt metal. Yeah, like the post new metal. Yeah. Yeah, the post new metal, like oh, three like, days grace. Like, like, but like shit, you throw out. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, because butt uh, metal. Because. <laughs> my bum knee you know totally <laughs> yeah that's exactly it cause, it, cause it, just, I mentioned I used the term butt rock at Jesse's party last week and Jesse's like wait did you just say butt rock yeah butt rock our I, friend Jesse yeah friend of the podcast well, is it is it related to cock rock cause I thought that was like that's like porcelain well, basically yeah, yeah it's descended from cock, cock like, rock cock rock is well, Cockrock gave birth to butt rock. Yeah, yeah. Cockrock is like pour some sugar on me, like, stuff like that. I was gonna say like more like '70s stuff. Uh, yeah, Cockrock's like Led Zeppelin, ACDC. Mm. Yeah. I was thinking and butt rock's like the descendants of like Kiss and Van Halen and yeah. Smith. Like, let's hear that new song from Poison, <laughs> or or even Motley Crue. I'd call butt rock. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure, Motley Crue. Did anyone ever hear their ni- 1997 version of Shout Out the Devil? No. It was where they had all this like techno music in. It was very like... Bah, 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 oh, I bah, believe bah, it. Bah, bah. It actually sounded uh, surprisingly a little bit like Trent Reznor's redo of Immigrant Song. Well, that was the big trend at the time, like incorporating electronic elements. Or Into like... rock and roll, yeah. That was the Judgment Night soundtrack, wasn't it? Or no, that no. was hip-hop and, and rock. That was hip-hop Sorry. and rock, I'm yeah. thinking of the Spawn soundtrack. That was the Spawn soundtrack, mm. yeah. That was 97 as well. Yeah, yeah. 97 was the big year for that. It was like the rise of like Prodigy and mm-hmm. then like post Nine Snails. Because everyone thought this is going to be the new yeah. grunge. <laughs> Techno is the new grunge, and then it didn't become the new grunge. <laughs> Sorry, the cock rising. Is that the cock rock rising. Yeah. Cock rock rises. Speaking of 97, yeah. this is a nice segue to the the mm-hmm. other film that I watched. Yes, I stumbled across this Japanese film called Cure. Oh yeah, you told me about it. Which, uh, yeah, um, oh, who's the director? Um, Kiyoshi Kurosawa. Thank you. Thank you, Phil. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw some guys online that I like talking about it, and I thought it was a new film. They posted images from it. I'm like, oh, this looks good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check it out. Mm-hmm. And then I realized it's from 1997. But it's, yeah. it's really quite good. Hmm. Um, I don't know if I should go into details about it, but uh, I think, Graham, I think you definitely like it. Yeah, I should probably check it out. I... I my I, I used to watch a lot of foreign films and now I still watch a fair amount of foreign films but not as many as I used to so I should, I really need to dig into what Asian cinema is doing lately. It's, it's a good detective story. It's pretty mm-hmm. wild on the edges. I don't know. It's good. I'd say. Cool. Check it out. All it's right. very atmospheric. I'm a big fan of it. Uh, nice. It leans towards psycho psychological horror as well. Could it be comparable oh, sure. to Memories of a Murder? Uh no, because like Memories of Murder is more police procedural and this is like yeah. It's a bit of police procedural, but it leans more towards like the psychological horror element because okay. the villain practices mesmerism. Yeah, like the basic plot outline is there's there's a bunch of murders, and then they catch the murderer right away. Like it's mm-hmm. usually just he's usually hiding out in the place where the murder has happened. He's like, yeah, I definitely killed that my wife, or I definitely killed my uh, my friend there. Uh, I can remember doing it, 
and they all like kill the person in the same way but they can't believe that they've done this also so Ooh, so it's a very it's mysterious why are they all mm -hmm. killing people in the same way why are they yeah. finding the murderer right away hmm. um so it's good i'd say check it out all right that's it for me cool william have you seen anything since we last recorded no how what have you seen graham <laughs> always the question tell us while i stuff my face with chocolate um we have we also yeah we have two kinds of chocolate we have that big chocolate bar we also have a pot of gold chocolates um so I forgot to write down when we watched the. Did we watch the Permanition after Phantasm? I uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, because you would have oh, mentioned it. Okay, could you throw another log in the fire, please? Coming right up, yeah. Mm -hmm. oh. Ooh. Anyone? Ooh. Yeah. It's a nice warm fire, actually. Yeah, the fireplace here at the the Cave of Cinema. Um, so yeah, so I watched. This is gonna be a. L uh, no, it'll be. A l I haven't watched that many movies. I watched The Wraith. Which is uh, with Charlie Sheen. With Charlie Sheen. Although you realize early on, like they only had him for two days, and they stretched him out because most of the time his character is wearing like a helmet. Um, this movie is is so strange. It fe features a pre Twin Peaks Sherilyn Fenn, pre Two Moon Junction Sherilyn Fenn at that. So she doesn't. At first, I'm like, I know this girl. I just don't know who she is. And I'm like, that's Sherilyn Fenn because she doesn't have that Audrey from Twin Peaks look at all. It's before then. I think this was the time she was like dating Josh Brolin. Probably around that time. Because she did Thrashing. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think she yeah. did Thrashing around the same time. It's probably. But um, it's it's interesting because there's a character in it named Billy. And so Charlie Sheen's character is new in town. And he I couldn't tell if they were high school kids or college kids because the first scene is Charlie Sheen meeting Sherilyn Fenn, who is the, the female love interest. And they all wind up going, although Charlie Sheen doesn't go there, to this, like, swimming hole, because it's shot in Arizona, and they don't have beaches there, so they have a swimming hole, which is clearly meant to be a beach scene when they wrote the script, but Arizona had the tax credit or something. So they're at the swimming hole, and I couldn't figure out, and then the main bad guy is played by Nick Cassavetes, the son of John Cassavetes, the director of The Notebook. Um, and he's also in Face Off. He's also in Face Off, and he's also, like, you know, 40 years old hanging out with these teens. And so they're all lying down on blankets near the swimming hole, and there's this character called Billy shows up, and he literally comes up to Charlie Sheen. And is like, "Hey, can I lay my towel down next to you?" And he's like, "Uh, why? Why don't you go over there?" He's like, "Oh, because they don't like me." And then he lies down, and then he proceeds to like give random exposition, unprompted by anything, about that guy over there. He's the bad guy. That's his girlfriend, although she doesn't want to be his girlfriend. But he controls everyone in this town. It was very bizarre. Randy Quaid was in it as a uh, as a like a sheriff, which was an interesting choice. Um, and yeah, Billy Exposition. The guy from Christmas Vacation. Yep, that guy, cousin Eddie. Cousin and Eddie, fugitive yeah. from the law. And fugitive <laughs> from justice. And and the Illuminati. Yeah. Anyways, it's a really strange movie about um, this guy gets so. Charlie Sheen throughout the whole movie rides a dirt bike without a helmet. However, when they go to race cars, they wear helmets, in a car. It drove me nuts because at a certain point he's like riding away from them like on a on a and he has no helmet on his dirt bike, but when he drives a car, he wears a helmet. I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, it's a very strange movie, and we might watch it or might not. I, I don't know how to classify it. helmet had nothing to do with anything? No, they just wore helmets when they street raced. <sighs> Anyways. It sounds safe to me. Maybe he hopped off the bike and, and got into the car and didn't have time to take off his helmet. Anyways, the whole thing is the, the plot is that these gang of ruffians led by Nick Cassavetes and Clint Howard as a teenager in 1985. Nice. Um, <laughs> is, he, is he bald? <laughs> no, he's he's got like a uh, a kid and play high top haircut. Oh god. Which I don't know how that's possible. <laughs> um, but anyways, he um, 
he uh, they the, the turns out that they killed this guy that was dating Sherlyn Fenn and was the brother of the Billy kid who I nicknamed Billy Exposition because he just unpromptly would tell everyone the plot of what's going on in the movie. Um, and then Charlie Sheen is actually the spirit come back to uh, to get them all in his wraith car. And I the whole time I was just thinking like, oh, it's it's a car that's a wraith. So it's a wraith car. And it's like sounds like I'm from Barcelona saying that the wraith car because um, it's like a race car. Um, and then I saw the remake of Suspiria. Which oh, how was it? I don't want to say I hated it, but I hated it. <laughs> it's okay. Here's the thing. I went in wanting to like it a lot. Great. Love, great production design, great cinematography, great acting. First of all, who's behind it? Uh, it's Luca Guargan, the guy that made <laughs> the guy. <laughs> the guy. Call me by your name, guy. Yeah, the call me by your name, guy. He directed it, and but the the script is just like a deflated balloon. It's like a whoopee. Cu- you go in, and it's like you sat on a whoopee cushion watching that movie, because it's just like. There's no main character, and it follows the plot of the. Even though everyone's isn't like, it's so different from the Dakota original. Johnson, isn't yeah. she though? She's, there's no main character. She's a character in the movie, nah. and her name is the same as the main character of the original Suspiria. And they follow the plot of the original Suspiria beat for beat, despite the fact that everyone's like, it's totally different. It's not. Like every little thing is repeated there. And then at the end, when it's like the big ending, it's like one character's like, oh, guess what? I'm actually evil, and I've been evil this whole time. In fact, I'm way eviler than all you guys are. I'm actually a witch. In fact, I'm Mother Suspiria. I'm the witch all you guys worship. So how about that? And then you're like, wait a second. Then what was all those friggin' flashbacks to your mother in Ohio dying of tuberculosis? Makes no sense. And then it ends, and literally a character sits down on the on an old man's bed and it's like, so I'm going to explain to you what happened here. And then she proceeds to explain what happened. It still makes no sense. There's stuff about... At a certain point, like a good half hour of the movie is dedicated to the Holocaust. Another half hour is dedicated to the uh, the terrorism in West Berlin at the time, the Red Army faction and the Bader Meinhof complex, which is all somehow connected. But nope, not really. Um, I was very frustrated by the movie because I went in wanting to like it, and I'm like, if you just stuck the landing, I could have like loved this movie. But you didn't. You made a weirdo movie that no one likes, and then Tom York had to come on and sing over a bunch of scenes. By the way, Tom York should never be allowed to score a movie again. His score is good, but it's not a good score. Like, you know what? <laughs> How does that even make sense? <laughs> because it works on a, as an album, but in the opening scene, well, like, oh, some of the opening scenes when, like, you know, the main character's mother is dying of tuberculosis, and you hear Tom York be like, it's hard. And then at the end, when, it, when like, his voice starts creeping up on other scenes, you're like, dude, you're taking me out of this movie. I didn't come here to listen to Radiohead. I came here to, to watch Suspiria. The title track slaps, though. Suspiria. <laughs> he doesn't say Suspiria. He does not say it. He does too. <laughs> yeah, maybe like maybe, maybe they should get like Chris Rock to recite that old model. Like if you can't get so and so, you wait. Yeah, if you can't get Johnny Greenwood, but you can get Tom York, <laughs> you wait. <laughs> um, and then I saw Escape from Tomorrow, which is the the movie that was made illegally at Disneyland. It's a movie that exists. The characters aren't particularly interesting or good, but it exists. That's what I heard about it. And it's like. It's a clever concept to shoot a, mo- a movie illegally in um, in Disney World, but that's the only clever thing about it, really. Um, and then last night I got to see a uh, a thirty five millimeter print of Ingmar Bergman's The Virgin Spring, which oh. was, by the way, that movie looks like it could have been shot yesterday. My Bergman watching is is incredibly low. I've, that's actually the first Bergman film I've ever seen. Um, oh gosh, really? I know. Either there, everyone's got blind spots, man. Um, it was really good. It was it yeah. was really good. I've I've only seen the seventh seal. Yeah, I haven't even seen that. But yeah, it was it was such a good film. It looks like it was shot yesterday. 
so affecting, so touching. Uh, Max von Sydow, you know, he's had that voice since he was like 20 years old. He's super young in that movie. Um, and it was very clearly a... Um, was uh, ripped off for The Last House on the Left by Wes Craven. The, the funny thing about Max von Sydow is, I, I guess mm-hmm. they, they put a lot of makeup on him for, oh, for the, the Exorcist. Exorcist. Yeah, he was playing a man 40 so years older than he is. It seems like he's been ancient forever to I know. me. I know, that's everyone's, because everyone saw him first in The Exorcist, and you're like, because he aged wow, right that into guy's... that look. Yeah. Like, he looks like. They were, they were like, uh, who, who did the, was it Dick Smith did the special effects for that movie? He nailed it. Like, he's like, hmm, how are you going to look in 40 years? I think I know. <laughs> and you got it. He nailed it. So, guys. Oh, with all that being said, I think it's time that we watch Silent Night, Deadly Night. Let's get into the darkness. Let's, you know, the... Chest- yeah, the festive spirit. Yeah. The chestnuts that are roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping at your nose, etc. A pot of gold chocolates have been opened. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And soon, Santa Claus will be on his way to kill us all. All right, guys. We'll be right back. Before Christmas, when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. And that was Silent Night, Deadly Night, part one. Ho, ho, ho. I think we all reacted quite strongly to that film. Yeah. Okay. So before we get into our thoughts, I'm going to run through some more notes that I have on the film. And Phil, and guys, feel free to chime in whenever uh, you feel like it, because there's a lot to unpack here. Okay. So the group that I mentioned earlier, Citizens Against Movie Madness, was actually formed specifically to protest this film and actually hoped that their victory of getting it pulled from theaters would give them the momentum to challenge the film industry as a whole to eliminate any form of violence in cinema whatsoever. Because, I mean, like, this is after a lot of the famous slasher movies that we know and yeah, love, Friday like the Halloween, Friday the 13th. And, uh, even, like, The Prowler, which is really nasty. Which, which I would say are don't much more gruesome than this film. And Don't, don't Answer the Phone, it, it, it was a wide release as well, and it, that movie is nasty. Like, I never, never even heard really of Don't bad. Answer the Phone. Uh, well, it's about a guy just like, you know, if you want to see a fat guy brutally murder women, women for 90 minutes, that's the movie for you. I don't want to see that. <laughs> no. I've never seen it either, but, like, I remember it came out and actually did, was very successful. I mean, the, the Toolbox Murders, the New York Ripper, which is one of my favorite, like later late giallos um even like dario argento stuff like tenebre is way more graphic than this one but i think it's just the whole the whole nihilistic sentiment of this movie like this movie is mean it and like it intends to take down christmas as a holiday it seems to be the reaction um, to the film well just that christmas is hollow 
Uh, so moving on, Siskel and Ebert were extremely opposed to the very nature and concept of the film, uh, with Siskel reading the names of the three parent companies of the film and then saying, shame on you. He then went on to read the names of the two writers, the director and the producer, also followed by Shame on You. They were they were about that though, didn't you mm-hmm. say that they uh, they listed like the producer's home address for Friday the Thirteenth Part something Four like or that? Something like, like here's that, where you or... can reach them. Um, um, and then Siskel went on to say um, he hopes that they never work again and that any financial gain they get from this film is true blood money. Which I'm just saying, like, dude, have you never seen Cannibal Holocaust? Like, there are yeah, way. What was what was his damage with this film? He just didn't like the whole concept of, like, you can't ruin Christmas. Yeah, they, they... Despite the fact that there was, you know, Christmas Evil in 1980 and Black Christmas in 1974, a full 10 years before this. Well, I guess this movie did its uh, job then if it uh, <laughs> pricked Ebert that so much, calling it blood money. Jesus. Yeah, and also, I also forgot to, to point out that in 1972 in the Tales from the Crypt movie, there is a segment with a guy as a killer Santa, and he's full on Santa gear. Like in this film, Billy pulls down the Santa beard, so he's, he's not wearing it. Yeah, his you can face. see his face. You can see it's a fake Santa. Yeah, but I think what's what we should acknowledge about um, the controversy of this movie is that um, mm-hmm. it was aggressively marketed during prime time. So that's true. Families watching Little House on the Prairie. Mm-hmm. So they would the TV spots for Silent Night Deadly Night would prop cop up and uh, nice. But you know what? Growing up as a kid, I remember Mr. Giggles ads being on oh, during the middle sure. day, and that Dr. would like Giggles, freak me yeah. out. Doctor Giggles. And, I mean, I think you've talked about Ghoulies yeah, before. Ghoulies like freaked out you kids. From... Yeah, no, I wasn't able to use a toilet for a week. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, mm-hmm. I guess also like in anticipation of Christmas time. Yeah, but it, yeah, I know. But come on. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it, the 80s were very quaint, innocent yeah. time. It the was Ronald yeah. Reagan years. It mm-hmm. was very Back innocent. when, yeah, it was morning in America. Roger Ebert then went on to say um, that it's good Siskel named the people involved in the making of the film as, and I'm quoting now, a lot of times these people make a bunch of money in exploitation pictures and ride off into the sunset with a house in Malibu with none being the wiser of their cinematic atrocities and that they've committed. This is particularly interesting coming from Roger Ebert as he wrote three films for notorious sexploitation filmmaker Russ Meyer under different pseudonyms, so it was hidden at the time. They were Beneath the Valley of the Dolls, Up, and Beneath the Valley of the Ultra Vixens. He, he wrote the Pixar movie Up? No, he wrote, wrote Up as in that's, you know, what your Johnson does when you're aroused. Uh, um, oh, God. These three, oh, Roger. I know. These three films feature great amounts of misogyny, violence, Nazism, and rape. Um, so methinks thou doth protest too much, Roger. God rest his soul. Um, the film was actually based on the book Sleigh Ride, written by Paul Kamey. Um, it's based on a book. Wow. Oh, wait. Yeah, I saw that in the opening. I uh, missed, the, I missed, actually. Based on a story by Paul Kamey. Yeah, and it, and it was adapted by Michael Hickey, both of which have no other credits on IMDb. So I guess Siskel and Eber won that. However, I went on to realize that, um... The, the talk of the book was actually uh, made by uh, Charles Sellier Jr., the director, but it turns out that there actually was no such book. Paul Kamey, then a student at Harvard University, submitted a script to the producers of the film that had a line about a killer Santa. The producers of the film expanded upon that single idea to make this film and wanting to give Kamey some credit, give him a story by credit. So there actually was no sleigh ride. Um, the film was directed by Charles E. Sellier Jr., who only has four directing credits, those being 1979's Encounter with, the, uh, with Disaster, Silent Night, Deadly Night, the 80s teen ski comedy Snowballing, 
1985 Vietnam veteran vigilante film, The Annihilators, which one reviewer on the IMDb called required viewing for every 16-year-old male. <laughs> I'm guessing the movie Snowballing is a double entendre. Oh, yeah, because like, the poster is you know mountains in the background with people skiing and a guy and a girl in a hot tub in the, fr- in the foreground. Much like Ski School or like any of the 80s teen ski movies, which everyone forgets was a genre for, for a brief while. Is, is snowballing a sex term that I'm unaware of? Is that like Bukaki or? No, just, oh. Hey, watch the movie Clerks. Okay. Yeah, snowball. I, not, not that I would recommend it otherwise, but. I have I seen Clerks, but so long ago that I d- it's almost like I don't like think I snowballing is a, reference, is a reference to what they were talking about in Clerks. Um, he, uh, the director is actually incredibly prolific as a documentary producer with 69 credits to his name, dating all the way back to 1973 and going right up until 2008. In the 1970s, his documentary work focused on the rising interest in new age mysticism, religion, and the occult. Some of these titles were In Search of Noah's Ark, The Mysterious Monsters, The Amazing World of Psychic Phenomena, Beyond Death's Door, and The Bermuda Triangle. Now, I actually saw In Search of Noah's Ark and the Bermuda Triangle when I was a kid. I think I was around nine years old because they were both in heavy rotation on TBS in like around 1992-93. In the 1980s, he produced a lot of made-for-TV films, including adaptations of Huckleberry Finn, Sleepy Hollow, The Time Machine, and The Fall of the House of Usher. In 1991, he produced Knight Rider 2000, which was supposed to lead to a revived Knight Rider series, but it did not. From the... What's up? Nothing. The uh, the Utah Jazz lost by 50 points last night. That's amazing to the Mavericks. Anyway, go on. And the film was shot in Utah. <laughs> I can't. Fun fact for those listening in December that in November, the Utah Jazz lost by 50 points. Um, they only scored 68 in the entire game. That is wow. From the 1990s <laughs> onwards until the end of his career, he produced documentary films for the very lucrative Christian exploitation market, which goes on, which is still around today. Uh, these include Ancient Secrets of the Bible Part 2, The Evidence for Heaven, Breaking the Da Vinci Code, End Times and How Close Are We, The Case for Christ's Resurrection, and two more documentaries about finding Noah's Ark, neither of which are related to each other or the original In Search of Noah's Ark. Talk about Jesus, being indeed. Yeah. <laughs> he really milked that Noah's Ark money Talk all the way. Being on a kick, right? God said to Noah, there's gonna be a flooddy flooddy. Leave me alone. Interestingly enough, Charles uh, E. Sellier Jr. was extremely uncomfortable with the violence that had to be in the film, and those scenes of violence were actually directed by the film's editor, Michael Spence. Hmm. Um, that, of course, being the, the infamous deer uh, antlers through Leanna Quigley. Yeah, I mean, this film does get pretty violent. Yeah. And we love it for it. I, and I was saying, I think I was saying during the film, the, uh, the blood effects are actually rather good. good for a movie of its time. Mm-hmm. Well, this was post Friday the 13th Part 4, and I, I think it was just before Day of the Dead came out, which has been called the Gone with the Wind of, of gore movies. Um, so the film stars um, Robert Brian Wilson as Billy at 18. There were two other actors that played him at younger ages, but I didn't look up their names. Um, that was when he went homicidal at age 18. Uh, the actual person, the, the actor, uh, Robert Brian Wilson, was so ashamed by the controversy that he told friends and family to not seek the film. And it impacted his acting career so much that he, it actually died off in the next few years. Although since 2016, he's been acting in made-for-TV movies, 
uh, for the Hummer channel, <laughs> one of, of which nice. is the achingly saccharine A Husband for Christmas. Did Amy Force work on that? Or? No, that was shot in the States and directed by David Dakota, who did Sorority Babes in the Slime Ball Bolorama. <laughs> Wait, sorry, who were you just talking about? The, the actor of the film that played Billy, the killer Santa. Oh, jeez. Talk about a shitty attitude, right? Well, no, no like, the thing is, you gotta remember, like, this, when when the entire nation is, like, saying your film is trash and garbage and shouldn't so be made. basically, don't touch Christmas. Is that what the entire nation is saying? Yeah. At the don't time, that's what they Christmas? were saying. At the time, mm-hmm. that's what they were saying. Yeah, yeah. Of course, now we have Bill Goldberg's Santa Slay. Santa Slay, which is an awesome film. <laughs> but I should point out as well, hey, Bill Goldberg met his wife on that film. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, Magic. What, what was I going to say? Um... Since then, the actor has come around quite a bit. He goes to horror conventions. He embraces it. In fact, him and the actor that played Ricky in Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2 were on one of my favorite podcasts, Shockwaves, a couple Christmases ago. Oh, so Ricky does come back. Oh, yeah. We'll get to that in a little bit. So one of Billy's victims in the film is played by Death by Video favorite Linnea Quigley. Uh, longtime listeners will remember her from our Graduation Day episode. There's going to be more with Linnea Quigley. <laughs> Which also yeah. featured Vanna White. Vanna White. Um, we're going to see more of Linnea Quigley in 2019 because I realize we've got way... We, we haven't seen enough good, solid B-movies from the 80s because she's in so many great ones and not-so-great ones. Um, this film opened the same weekend as A Nightmare on Elm Street and briefly outgrossed Nightmare on Elm Street by about $161,800. Wow. Um, the release of this film was picketed by angry parents who were not happy to see Santa Claus depicted as an axe murderer, despite, as we said before, the fact that in uh, the 1972 Tales from the Crypt did the exact same thing 12 years earlier, and You Better Watch Out, a.k.a. Christmas Evil, had done the same thing in 1980. Mickey Rooney was one of the most vocal detractors of the film in 1984. However, this would come back to bite him when he starred in 1991's Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 5, The Toymaker. Did he ever, like, reconcile those? Um, Did he ever mention that? Allegedly, it's been theorized that the film Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 5 was shot under the title of The Toymaker, and the name Silent Night, Deadly Night was added in post-production. Just just to f*** with Mickey Rooney. Just just (laughs) jab the stick in his eye, yeah. Which I'd be okay with that. Um, he just passed away, didn't he? Like, eh, like a year ago or something. Yeah, okay. The film was followed by four sequels and a remake. Uh, first, there was Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2, which follows the younger brother, Ricky. That's a, that's an infamously bad film. That's yeah. uh, often cited as one of the... Uh... Well, I would say it's not that. Like The thing is, I think his performance was criticized for a long time, but when you look at it now, you realize... oh, Garbage he's... day! But you realize he's doing Bugs Bunny. Like He's doing like over-the-top nonsense, because there was an interview with the director of that film, because he was hired on to do it basically he was hired he's an editor and he was hired like hey can you re-edit Silent Night Deadly Night Part 1 so that it's a completely new movie and he was like no that's impossible can you like let us shoot 20 more minutes of footage so they did and like he was not a horror guy he was a fan of the classic uh, Mel Blanc you know Warner Brothers animation so he was like well let's just make it a cartoon like I don't really want to make another serious downbeat Christmas horror film uh did they? did they? Yeah, yeah, it was it it was uh it's it's hilarious in its own right. So yeah, so it follows uh, younger brother Ricky who also goes on a homicidal rampage around the holidays and is mostly made up of footage from the original using flashbacks. Silent Night Deadly Night Part 3 Better Watch Out was directed by 
the new Hollywood director, Monty Hellman, and stars Bill Mosley from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2 and a bunch of Rob Zombie crap um, <laughs> as a brain-damaged Ricky. It also features many actors from David Lynch projects, including Eric DeRay, who played Leo Johnson in Twin Peaks, Laura Herring, who made her debut in... It was her debut in Silent Night, Dead Night 3. She wanted to play Rita in Lynch's Mulholland Drive. She also appeared in The Forbidden Dance's Lombata, which we will be watching in 2019. We'll be doing all the Lomb- Lombata movies in 2019. All two of them? All two of them. My favorite sub-sub-sub-genre, the Lombata movies. Um, <laughs> it's the Forbidden Dance. Yeah. And uh, Richard Bamer, who played Ben Horn in Twin Peaks and was Tony in West Side Story, as well as appearing alongside the witch who came in from the sea star, Millie Perkins, in The Diary of Anne Frank. Huh. There you go. <laughs> was that a burp? Or a, huh? <laughs> it, was a, it was a hiccup. hiccup. I said oh, hi, wow, and then right. I hiccup at the same time. That's never happened to me before. Yeah. So um, then came Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 4, The Initiation, which was directed by horror genre mainstay Brian Usna, who did Bride of Reanimator, Society, Return of the Living Dead 3, and a bunch of others. It starred Clint Howard and Bond Girl Maude Adams. She was in For Your Eyes Only and Octopussy and... Um, she also uh, she had a brief cameo in uh, A View to a Kill. Um, it has nothing to do with the earlier films and does not feature Killer, San- Killer Santa Claus in any form. Then came Silent Night, Deadly Night Part Five: The Toymaker, Toymaker, which featured Mickey Rooney as a toy maker named first name Joe, last name Petto, so Geppetto. Oh. Um, and Brian Bremner. Your last name is Petto. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> and Brian Bremner. Hills, man. Bremer, yeah. As his son. Uh, Pino, aka Pinocchio. Oh so you can see what that that movie where does that movie Does Mickey Rooney do the murdering in that one? I think his son does. Oh. So it's important to point out that all the Simon Night Deadly Night films in the original series were released between 1984 and 1991. That's an incredibly short amount of time to crank out five movies. And considering that there was a three-year gap between Part One in 1984 and Part Two in 1987, that means that the four sequels were released at a rate of one per year for four years. Uh, the remake came out in 2012. It's like the Saw movies. Yeah, pretty fast. Yeah, the the uh, remake came out in 2012 and starred the king of the paycheck, Malcolm McDowell. Just phoning it in again. Uh, I haven't seen it. How is he the... Come on, you guys are always ragging on him. How is he the king of the paycheck? He, 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 he did, does bad yeah. movies. Like, he does movies that he shouldn't... He doesn't need to do. He's not the king. He's not the king. Uh, the paycheck? Yeah, I think so. Remember he was in that, uh, that weird city TV program? Lex. Lex, yeah. That, that movie was great. That, that show was great. Um, and then he's got bills to pay. He's got bills to pay. He's got mouths to feed. In, in the, uh, the city TV show, Lex, in the yes. first season, yeah. Um, most notably, where'd it go? Oh, um, the film inspired the movie within a movie, Christmas Sleigh, from the 1988 film Ernest Saves Christmas. So that's its lasting impression. Fun Christmas Sleigh. So, guys, I know that was a lot of notes to get through. What do we all think of, of Silent Night? Oh, and we should point out, this film shouldn't be confused with Black Christmas, which came out in 1974, and actually was re- initially released under the title Silent Night, Evil Night, or the Silent Night, Bloody Night series. I haven't seen Silent Night, Bloody Night, I don't know what it's about. I've only heard bad things, but Black Christmas is a great piece of cinema, uh, which, if you watch it, you'll be like, oh, so that's where John Carpenter got everything. Hmm. Phil, what do you think of Silent Night, Deadly Night? It's something of a guilty pleasure. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It's uh, it's really skeevy, really mean. You you really want to yeah. take a shower after? Uh, yeah, it's a mean watching movie. it. 
Mm-hmm. Kit, what'd you think? <laughs> I enjoyed it. I know. In spite I, of myself. I don't I, know. I know. We all like the the scene where like the grandpa is telling the kid in the, like early on, like like all of a sudden he just goes from like being catatonic to evil. And he's just like You better be good. If you did anything bad, Santa will come and punish you. And then he goes back to being catatonic again. Just like the, in the scene with the tobogganers too, with the uh with oh. young Doug Ford. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Are we gonna do a yeah? Like let's a do, recap we'll do a scene or? by scene breakdown. I just want to get your okay. Should we go into the scene by scene breakdown, guys? So, so sure. thumbs up from me. Yeah, thumbs up from from Kit, Phil. Thumbs up. Thumbs up, Lil. Yeah, that was. I mean, the whole uproar about the context made it fun. Yeah. I, I, it, I, no, not the uproar, but the whole con the whole thing around it is what makes it fun. It so. is a pretty violent movie, but yeah. it would yeah. it would be considered tame by today's standards, obviously. Yeah, I, it would also have to be right to kind of really land. Cisco yeah. and Ebert have been outnumbered now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got four thumbs up to there, two thumbs down. <laughs> Suck it, dead guys. Suck it. We hope you're listening up there from heaven or down there from hell. <laughs> uh, <laughs> They're both in hell. <laughs> <laughs> They're in cinema hell. Punish. Yeah. Just watching Mac and me endlessly. Yeah. Oh, that would be terrible. <laughs> Anyways, so we start off. It's Christmas Eve, 1971, and a family of four. Young Billy, baby Ricky, mom and dad are driving out to visit their their parent. Well, we don't know if it's the mother or the father because they both call him dad. Um, but one of their their parents, their grandparent, their their grandpa. Well, I think it's I think it's I think the dad's. The oh, I thought yeah. it was the dad's father. Because they both ca- say dad. For Terry. Oh, okay. At first, I thought it was the dad's dad because he was like dad. I was under the impression that he was the mother's father. Cause oh, okay. It's one of those weird things where it's like I have a feeling that this is back when like you know. Uh, husbands and wives called each other's like in-laws mom and dad which is always just weird it's, to me well it's just when uh, like like when when the little boy is like uh, grandpa told me that Santa's gonna Santa's murder gonna punish people. me and he's yeah. like he's a crazy old coot yeah he's a crazy old coot and this he's is like what the mother says yeah so anyways they go to they go to visit grandpa at should, this uh, by the way I should point mm-hmm. out that uh, the dad does look like Chevy Chase's handsome less toothy brother yeah um, so they go to visit the grandpa at this, I guess, like uh, home for the catatonic or something on it's, Christmas uh, Eve. Mental facility. Yeah, I, I thought I wrote it down, but I. Oh yeah, the Utah Mental Facility is what it's called. Oh, yeah. That clearly uh, not problematic name anymore. <laughs> no. Back when they used to call like uh, mental facilities the mental, he's in the mental now. Um, he um. So they go there and they like greet their grandpa and he's catatonic. And then, you know, the doctor's like, oh, I got to tell you something in another room. So then dad, mom, and baby Ricky go into their room, and they're like, oh, just stay here with grandpa. And so Billy is just there, like, chilling out, and all of a sudden grandpa lo- looks over, and he's like, hello, Billy. <laughs> like, just the evilest grandpa ever. And he's like, have you been good this year? Yes, grandpa. Have you done anything wrong? Maybe. Ooh, well, then you better look out, because you know what happens tonight? Santa Claus comes and gives us presents. To the good boys and girls, to the bad ones, he punishes them. He's all crying, and he's so, like... Yeah. Like, the little boy just cannot not take him seriously. He's, like, really delivering this, like, fully heartfelt, like, Santa's coming for you, man. I know, that was this this actor's, like, Oscar. He's like, I'm never gonna be in a movie again. I have to give it my all. This is an Oscar clip, yeah. I, I don't know if he was as Vincent Price as, as know, Graham makes him out to be, but... <laughs> It yeah. was pretty, like, it was pretty hammy. It was good. Anyways, uh, parents come back. And he also notes that he Santa gives presents to kids that have been good all year round. Yeah, so you have to be good all year. Not just in the month leading up to Don't Christmas. Don't slip up, little boy. Um, 
Anyways, uh, so then the parents come back, and little Billy is traumatized, and they bring him back in the car, and he's just like, because initially he was super excited, like, I want to see Santa, I want to stay up for him. And now he's just like, I don't want Santa to come. Yeah. Santa's going to punish me. And, you know, Grandpa told me that, and it's like, is it possible Grandpa, like, was awake? And it's like, well, Dad, like, Billy wouldn't lie. I, like, I like that, how they, yeah, they, they didn't trusted just the kid. Dis- yeah. It's not like the normal movie where it's like, shut up, little boy. Like, shut up yeah. our, our child that we don't trust whatsoever. Um, and then we learn, then that's when she goes like, oh, that man's a crazy old coot. And Billy's like, mommy, you're naughty. You're not supposed to say bad things about the elderly. Which is very astute for a little kid. And while this is happening, uh, a man in a Santa Claus suit holds up a convenience store and then shoots the clerk dead and steals only 31 bucks. 31 bucks. So then he stages a fake breakdown on the side of the road and is... And you know, mom. To be fair, and I know this is not fair, and, and I just said that anyway. But that convenience store clerk was really fucking annoying. <laughs> he was such an asshole. Well, he was. He was. He wasn't. He was like, I'm sick of this Christmas I crap. I wanted to shoot him. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, wow. I, just, I, I did love how when the Santa Claus came, and he's like, I don't have to get all this Christmas crap outside. And now I've got to walk into my store. And, you know, the Santa Claus is just very, like, that's his shtick. He's like, I'm the, you know, Christmas villain or something. I feel like that convenience store clerk was the voice of mouthpiece of the writers of the movie. I think so, yeah. And of the audience paying to see the movie. Well, the the interesting thing is that this movie kind of criticizes the commercialization of Christmas. It does. But it was back in 1984, way before it's gotten to the insane degree that it has now where we have Christmas decorations in stores in September. But it also like it 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 does place importance upon the uh, the innocence of children and that's true stuff well, that's, like that's that. The thing. Like, it's it's like, a little bit more complex than I know. That's that's I can't believe we're actually like talking about the complexities of this movie because it's just literally supposed to be like dude and Santa kills in Santa costume kills people. But there is a complexity here where it's like you know children are being you know we were putting these crazy like stressors on kids like you have to be good or else you won't get the present and like this film kind of shows like what happens when that goes horrendously wrong and then billy grows up to be you know six foot two and muscular and crazy but that with a huge package <laughs> which we see um <laughs> so, so then the santa claus from the from the stick up is on the side of the road and he waves down the parents and they're like, oh, is something wrong with your car? He's like, well, no, not well, exactly. He's like, don't stop. Yeah. Please yeah, don't stop. Yeah, the boy stop. didn't want them to, to, to pick the <laughs> Santa up, which yeah. the parents found really strange. I know. The Billy was like, don't stop. Santa's going to punish us. And then Santa pulls a gun. They drive. They try to drive away, but he shoots Dad dead. He pulls out Mom. He sexually assaults Mom. Uh, it's a rough scene, actually. It's a very rough. It's a very rough. You can see why people. Meanwhile, their four-year-old child is just watching. Or he's five at the time, like, watching this all happen. And the baby's in the car. The baby's crying. crying. And then he, like, the Santa Claus slits the mother's throat. Cut to three years later, at, both Ricky and Bobby St. Mary's Orphanage. Yep. For, uh, yeah, so it's like, and they're in the orphanage with uh, Mother Superior and uh, Sister Margaret. And all the kids are asked to, like, draw, uh, drawing for Christmas. And Billy draws a Santa Claus stabbed to death with a reindeer, reindeer with a severed head which causes him to be brought to Mother Superior, who sends him to his room, and she tells young Sister Margaret, listen, I know what I'm doing here. I will. Billy can't possibly remember that he watched his parents get brutally murdered on Christmas Eve by Santa Claus three years ago. Yeah, Mother Superior is of the tough love... Uh, 
Yeah, she's. Like I don't a, say it's no love. Yeah, like she's like, I'm just gonna teach No, that she. Out of a yeah, child. she totally like. Okay, he doesn't like. This is bullshit. Like, let's just. It never happened. He got a snap out of it. <laughs> yeah, like, what's wrong with this kid? Jeez, come on. He's <laughs> acting up. He's being bad. Uh, you know. Whereas talk. Sister Margaret has a very progressive outlook of like, yes. maybe we need to actually address this and help. work through it. And and Mother Superior thing is like, no, we just got to beat him with a belt. Beat that'll, the trauma out of him. Yeah, that'll fix him. Um, so he she's sent up to his room, and then Sister Margaret goes up and says, I think you've been in your room long enough. Why don't you come out and help decorate the snowman? And he's like, yeah, that'll be great. He puts on his boot and his jacket, and he goes to, like, walk out the door, but he hears a sound. There's and then some he, moaning. And he walks down a hallway, and there's two teenaged orphans, apparently, uh, making coitus behind a locked room. And he, like, looks through the keyhole and sees it happening. And then old Mother Superior catches him. And then she goes into the room, takes the belt from the boy's pants. But um, before that... Um, just before she catches him, he has flashbacks of that night. As soon as he sees the teenage girl's tit, he just it kind of brings <laughs> him back. And he doesn't know why he's panicking, but he's like panicking seeing this. And then all of a sudden there's a hand on his shoulder. And That's true. And her superior about to punish him. Yes. Yeah, this as, is the, as, he's, as Lillian he's very pointed triggered. Out, yeah, he, as Lillian pointed can't. out at the time, this kid's not going to be able to look at another tit for the rest of his life. Yeah, he's scarred for life. <laughs> And as we learn, he can't. Um, so then she beats the two teenagers from behind the closed door while he hears this happening. And then he goes outside. Mother Superior drags him in and says, like, you were watching them. What they were doing was naughty. And he's like, I know, Mother Superior. I didn't see anything. And she's like, well, you left your room, so it's time for a beating. And then she beats him, put, puts him to bed for the night. Then he wakes up crying in the middle of the night, tries to like get up to go for a walk to clear his head. Mother Superior catches him and then proceeds to tie him to his bedposts yeah, yeah. while he screams the night away. This, this tough love is not uh, mm-hmm. not working in Billy's favor. No, and then we go to the next day is Christmas, of course, and she's like, oh, Mother Superior's like, Billy, have you learned your lesson? And he's like, yes, Mother Superior, I have. Where the whole time Sister Margaret is like, he has not. Like, there is no lesson to be learned here. You're just brutal with him. So, you know, she, sister, Mother Superior is feeling pretty good about herself. She goes to Sister Margaret like, see, he's fine. He'll be fine. We're going to have him sit on Santa's lap. It'll be fine. He'll be well behaved. And Sister Margaret is like, no, he will not. Like, you've beaten him senseless. And then once Christmas is over, yes, he will go back to being fine. That's because it's no longer Christmas time. So then he opens up a present. And then later on, he's dragged by Mother Superior to sit on Santa's lap where he spazzes the heck out. And Mother Superior... He cold cocks Santa. Yeah, he, yeah, like, he, he breaks straight Santa's up nose. punches no- Santa, and, yeah. like, Santa even goes, what the hell is wrong with that kid? Like, blood streaming down his Santa mustache. I know, and the entire time, Billy's just like, I didn't mean to be good, bad, I didn't mean to be naughty, I'll be good, I swear, I swear. And this is where we now jump ahead in time to 1984. Yeah, yeah we get a really good freeze frame of him cowering in the corner. Yeah. Yeah. It's scary stuff. So then we go to um, 1984 at Ira's Toy Shop. Fun fact, Ira is also the name of the producer of the film. And, oh, cool. And Sister Margaret is, like, you know, imploring Mr. Sims, the owner of the toy, shir- sto- toy store, to, like, hire, like, you gotta hire Billy. He's 18 years old. And he's just like, you know what? I need a guy to work in the back and lift the heavy things. This isn't a job for a kid. And she's like, okay, well, why don't you just meet Billy? And then Billy walks in, and this is where we get the dramatic, pan- like, tilt-up shoes jeans package as you said kit <laughs> belt buckle Full and metal packet yeah, yeah, he's bulging Sorry. he's he's <laughs> packet, packet, he's holding packet. heat there he's he's got something um <laughs> and then it pans up to show billy has now become a strapping young man big and strong muscular 
a solid 30 years <laughs> yeah, old. Well, it's by about the 28 actor, to 30, yeah. But playing an 18 year old. <laughs> and he's polite, he's nice, and then we get a nice little montage set to the song it's always christmas on the warm side of the door i think is the name that's of it. what we think yeah i thought it was the wrong the, side of the door but i checked the title it was warm side of the door we'll we'll, we'll play it in the background here listeners don't say that because i have to find it <laughs> i'm sure you can <laughs> and we thought that about ninja zombie and i couldn't find that it's very 80s adult contemporary yeah like country. early late 70s early 80s singer songwriter adult contemporary country it was i liked it i, I miss that era of like you can just turn on the radio and listen to some like nice the old am soothing music yeah. but now it's all like shitty country america eagles soar um that's 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 all country music now even yeah. canadian country music is like america friends to the south oil is good trudeau is bad wow that's <laughs> i know every country song ever um and uh alberta is the promised land no, it's not. Um, Remember, uh, fans of the podcast, to send your complaints directly to Graham. Yeah, Shepherd. please do. If you have a problem with that, seriously, <laughs> send your. I, I, I welcome hate mail. Death by Video Podcast at gmail.com. Death by Video Pod on Twitter. <laughs> Death by Video Podcast on Facebook. Send us all your hate. I'm going to hashtag uh, Alberta sucks in this. I was say maybe you can recreate the song and you can put it in the background if you can't find it. Oh, we, we could but sing it. Now yeah. I'm thinking, nah, uh, maybe, maybe we can not. tag Ontario <laughs> Proud. Maybe not, Graham. Maybe Ontario not. Ontario Proud, oh God. Maybe not. No, I don't want to invite those like secretly funded by the Conservative Party uh, people. Anyways, uh, where were we? Oh, yeah, so it's at the toy shop. This whole montage happens, and the end of the montage is they unroll the oh, Merry Christmas banner. What is happening in the montage? He is a golden boy. Oh, yeah, he is stocking shelves. Oh he is moving God. boxes. Kids love him. Fixing Mr. Potato Head? Fixing Mr. Putting Potato Head. Putting his little head. nose back? He is the ideal employee. And, like, you know, the, the girl that works there, too, I forget her name, she... Pam? Pam, Pamela, Pam, Pam, yeah. yeah. She uh, she she kind of takes a little shine to him. Nice Meanwhile, little... the uh, the guy that works there, what's his name, Andy? Uh, Andy, yeah. Complete jerk. I know. Short little runt that's just like, hey, always, you suck. Always f***ing bitching about something. Always got his feet up on the desk well, drinking he's, whiskey. He's like he's yeah. like, uh, like Billy will walk in all quiet and uh, and Andy will be like, what's your f***ing problem? What's <laughs> with this f***ing attitude? I know, Billy's like, <laughs> what? Been like stocked every shelf, yes. shelf in the back, and and Andy is just like treating him like, man, I don't know what's wrong with you, but you're really screwing up. <laughs> Whenever Iron's not around, Andy pretends to be boss. He just yeah, he's like, you know, Iron one dollar per hour more than you. That makes me the king of the of the stock room. And Billy's just like, I could crush you with my breath. Um, anyways, or with my package. <laughs> <laughs> So, it's Christmas, and Andy, or uh, not Andy, but Billy, he's he's holding it together. He's like, I just gotta get through this. I just gotta get through this. And then he has a fancy... He doesn't drink, by the way. I know. He's offered booze. He doesn't... He drinks he's milk. He's like, I'm gonna have a I'm gonna have my old here. 3% homogenized milk here. <laughs> um, and he... He, like, he's, he's holding it together during Christmas for a bit until finally, on the last day... Christmas Eve, oh. there's Santa Claus, broke his leg. Or broke his ankle. his ankle or something. Can't come in, and they need someone to fill that suit. And of course, Mr. Sims figures Billy's got to be perfect for it. So he puts oh, on the suit. I thought you were going to say, but of course, the employment agency can't send anybody out. They only have females. Right. That was a weird thing where it was like, they only have females available, but um, but we need a man for this job is what uh, one of the... the, the Which, I don't know why. I mean, yeah. you could just dress up a woman in a Santa Claus costume. It would be fine. No, it was 1984 in Utah. Things would go. Heads would roll. Yeah. More heads than would have rolled with under under Billy in the Santa suit. So Billy puts on the Santa suit. He's f- 
just straining at, with every. At least fi- one head rolled. Yeah. Because of Billy in the Santa suit. <laughs> That's true. He's he's trying so hard. Foreshadowing. He's trying <laughs> so hard to hold it together in that suit. He's really like I don't know uh, if you've seen that Soprano episode mm-hmm. where Bobby Bacchieri has to wear the Santa suit. I haven't. And he just gets angry at the kids. <laughs> it's it's a great scene. Anyways, so he's got a little girl on his lap and she wants to sit still. And he's like, just sit still. Just stop moving. You're you're ruining this. And he's like, have you been good? And she's like, yes. Well, you'll only get a present if you've been good all year. If you've been naughty, I will punish you. And the girl kind of like goes into a catatonic state. And all the parents are like, he's so good with children. He's so good. She's terrified like he was so many years ago. Yeah. And so then, uh, finally, we, uh, it's the end of Christmas, the like, store on Christmas Eve at 7 o'clock. They close the door, and Mr. Sims locks the door, turns everyone, and says, like, it's 7 o'clock, time to get shit-faced! And this is their Christmas party, where they put on music and sing Christmas carols over the music that have, like, aren't the same. And the entire time, Billy's it's like just... all four store employees. Yeah. It's there the was, saddest there Christmas was, no, no, party. No, no, there was, okay, so there was Andy, there was Mr. Sims, there was the, f- the female manager, I guess. Yeah. There was the blonde cashier, and then there was another dude there as well, and then there was Billy. And Billy was in his Santa Claus costume the whole time, just like, I just need to get through today, I just need to get through today. And they give him some J&B scotch, which does yeah, not go well. Yeah, all the kept behind the cash register. Yeah. And Andy lures Pamela into the back because he's got a present for her, and they're kind of like kissy a little bit. And he's like, you gotta come all the way to the back. I got this present for you. You're, gonna, you're just gonna love it. It'll fit right in you. Uh-huh. Um, of course, he's talking about his package, which we don't see, thankfully. He's like, and she's, she's like, why didn't you give it to me in front of everyone else? He's like, well, this is the kind of gift you don't show to everybody. <laughs> dun, dun, da, da. Um, and anyways, the entire time, Billy is like losing his mind over this, seeing it happening, having flashbacks to the kids that he saw getting, you know, uh, uh, whipped in the orphanage. And at the same time, Mr. Sims drunkly comes up and he's like, hey, Santa. You're doing a good job. And Billy's like, really? And Mr. Sims is like, yeah, you know what you got to do tonight, right? You know what you got to do? You know, you got a busy night ahead of you. And thinking he's being all like tongue in cheek and funny. Well, he caught him kind of having a moment. He's like, hey, Santa, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I'm thinking about my family. Yeah, Billy is. Billy my is, parents. Billy is not mm-hmm. fun at parties. By no, the way. he is. He doesn't say anything. He drinks silently in a Santa Claus suit. Yeah. <laughs> And then the boss is like, oh, that's great. Thinking about family's great. And he's like, mm, they're dead. And he's like, oh, right. And then he tries to kind of lighten him up and say, go get him, Santa. Get out of here. Go get him. You know what you got to do? Go do it. And Billy's like, really? <laughs> and Mr. Simmons is like, yeah, go get him, Santa. And famous last words were never spoken. He, he goes and gets them. He goes and gets them. So he goes into the back and he catches... So Andy here has forced himself onto Pamela, so there's another scene of sexual yep. assault. Terrible. This film, if you're triggered by, by sexual violence, this is not the home for you. Um, and... Because, yeah, there's three scenes of sexual violence in the film so far. And then... Uh, so, like, he's forcing himself onto Pamela. He rips her... The Santa attacking mom, the, uh, the teens in the orphanage getting beaten by the nun, Oh, and, yeah, I guess that counts. Yeah. And then, of course, Andy trying to sexually assault Pamela. Well, there's, so, there's more of them. There's more yeah. to come. Mm-hmm. And so, anyways, Andy is, like, forcing himself onto Pamela, and Billy kind of, like, finally has this snapping point where... And it was really only at this point where I realized he... In a lot of times, in people suffering from trauma, take 
try to take on the persona of the person who inflicted the trauma. So in this case, he actually becomes the Santa Claus that attacked his family on Christmas Eve um, and like he, he 13 does, years ago. As Lillian predicted, he sees a tit. That's it. <laughs> um, no, well, cause, because Andy, once Andy becomes aggressive, like he rips open Pam's top and yeah. then... It gets juxtaposed with... With uh, his mother being sexually assaulted by Santa yeah. Claus. And we see Billy, like, it taking him a while to kind of act. It he's takes like him so really, long. He's, like, really, like, shaking and sweating and, like, just, like, freaking out. And, like, he's, you see that he's being brought back to that moment. Well, that's Anytime the, he sees a tit. <laughs> well, no, but, but what I was... Okay, in all seriousness, what I was trying to say is that, like, you know, that is that thing where, like, uh, people who suffer trauma take, take on... Uh, if they have a psychic break, psycho- uh. yeah, I'm not trying to laugh about it. Yeah. A psychological break. I know, I know. Um, they take on that persona. In this case, he took on the persona of the Santa Claus that killed, or the, his version of the, of the Santa Claus that killed his family. And so he goes in, he takes some Christmas lights, and he strangles Andy to death. And then Pamela freaks out, and he's like, You've been naughty, Pamela. Naughty. And then he takes a box cutter and slices her open in a particularly gruesome way she's yelling at him and i'm like oh my god poor guy can't do anything right he's like killing the guy who's having his way with you and he's and he's still being yelled at he does say like cannot do anything right in this movie yeah he calls her naughty and he says boy as he is he just he can't well then he starts murdering which is yeah probably not yeah no i don't think that's right at all but anyways he kills her punishment is good or whatever he says and then mr sims comes in and how it's reciting what Mother Superior told me. You must yeah. be punished or something. That's right. That's right. Because you're yeah, not. She's yelling at him. You're cra- like you're. How did you? Why did you do that? You're crazy, or you know, like you're bad. And anyway. yeah, no, no that, that's exactly like Pamela is yelling at him. Like, and he realizes, oh, you're naughty too, and punishes her. How does Mr. Sims get it? I forget. Because he wanders Axe in. in the head. Run. Yeah, he, he wanders in. He's like no I'm hammer here. in the head. The it was the hammer. Side. Yeah, the claw side. Yeah, I, I, he, he wanders in. He's like, I think I hear something after the murders. Uh, he wanders in all drunk, and he stumbles in, and he's like, hello, and he's having a good time. And then and he's like, I guess I was hearing things. And he starts <laughs> wandering out, and then boom. And then he does this really funny turn where he's like, hello? <laughs> and Billy hits him in the head with the sharp end of a, of a hammer. Mr. Sims seems like a fun drunk. They were they were busy singing Christmas carols there. The, uh, the Santa's watching you. And this is where we see some, like, gray matter splatter out of his head and hit, yeah. the, hit the boxes. So then we're left with, like, the final woman there, the, the woman that uh, that brought up the whole temp agency thing. The yeah. assistant manager or something? I guess assistant manager or something. She's wearing a little mm-hmm. nutcracker hat. Yeah, uh, with uh, some mistletoe on it. And um, so she kind of, like, realizes, hey... Billy's lost his mind because he's out carrying an axe and he like she tries to call the police he slams the axe down and it cuts to the phone line and then you know she runs through and she actually does something pretty smart which is she puts her hat on top of a pile of boxes to distract everyone from or to distract Billy from realizing where she is well, we missed a little bit uh, Sister Margaret phones the store oh, and talks yeah. to, to Andy the, the, the asshole yeah, uh, it's like oh, oh, right, because yeah, she and she she, she phones to check in. Just, and he's, and like, he's like, nope, nope, he doesn't Billy's work not- back here no more. No, he's now playing Santa Claus. And the look on Sister Margaret's face is like, oh, oh no. no. <laughs> <laughs> so she, she, I guess she goes into action. She springs into action, but it takes her a while to get there. And um, so our, our woman here has got her head on some boxes. So Billy goes around with the axe, and he like swings it down, knocks over the boxes. 
And then she comes forth from behind him, pushes a bunch of boxes on top of him. Unfortunately, it's in the sporting goods section. She runs to the door and struggles to get it open when all of a sudden he's got an archery set and he, like, shoots an arrow and goes right through her ribcage and kills her. There's some great product placement in this, uh, this movie, mm-hmm. by the way. I actually don't think that was product placement. I think they probably, like... No, I know. I don't think they paid for those. I don't think they paid the, for there Jabba Star the Hutt. Wars ties, yeah. Star Wars toys. Star Wars, G.I. Joe, Mousetrap, Hasbro. Habit Trail, if anybody's Habit ever owned a I, I don't know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> um... They also the had, uh, was it the Scooby-Doo or... Yeah, it was a Scooby-Doo was board game. Was there around then? Because there was like a... Oh, yeah. Stra- oh, for sure there was, yeah. The Scooby-Doo Mrs. board game... Claus, strawberry shortcake type thing. The Scooby-Doo yeah. board game was at the orphanage, I believe. Uh, the, yeah. There was a Yogi Bear board game. Oh, yeah, that was Yogi Bear, Yogi Bear yeah. not Scooby-Doo. So anyways, now... Well, we forgot to mention about the axe that uh, he attempts to use on the assistant manager... It's basically mm-hmm. Chekhov's axe. Yeah, because yeah. we'd terms. seen it earlier. Yeah, yeah. you know, you know it's going to go off. Yeah, it's just on the wall. It's like, hmm, I wonder what they're going to use. That double bladed red axe. It's a, 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 a breaking case of fire. Axe. Yeah, it's a fire axe. So a double sided red axe. Who could that go with? Santa Claus. Um. So then, what happens next? Um. Now Billy goes out to spread Christmas cheer. Near and far. And Sister Margaret gets there a little too late. And sees, oh my God, Billy's on the loose. So Billy then, is this now the linear... Well, before we get mm-hmm. to that, um, doesn't she run to the police and that's when we meet the detective? That's well, later no, no, on. no, that's a little later, yeah. That's later on, that's so She goes to the store the first just to like make sure, yeah, it was an hour and seven minute, minutes in. And then, but we do see two cops who are like... Uh, you know who we gotta haul in. They got us in. Santa Claus. We gotta bring in Santa Claus. What if we catch the real guy? Oh, that, you know, oh, sergeant. Our, our sergeant will never be happy. Yeah, we he won't be happy him. even if we do bring in the real we Santa Claus. He'll send us out to get the Easter Bunny next. Yeah. Or Come. Peter Pan, another Peter holiday Pan. character. Yeah, <laughs> what holiday is Peter Pan associated with? Damn quotas. Yeah, all those Santa Clauses. But then, lo and behold, they pass a Santa Claus climbing up a ladder into a, a, a window. They burst into the door. There's a woman sitting there watching TV. She's like, hey, what are you doing? They burst into the room. They point their guns. And there's a Santa Claus standing over a little girl. The little girl looks up to Santa Claus and goes, daddy? And then the, the dad just pulls off his mask. And they're like, the cops are like, oh, look at us couple guys just breaking into a house and pointing guns at a Santa Claus and his little girl. And then leave. Um, <laughs> Christmas that. ruined forever. Yeah. Yeah, it just feels like this whole movie is just setting up a, a, a series of films where every child hates Christmas and is going on a massive killing spree. That little girl's going on a killing spree. All the kids at the orphanage are going on a killing spree. Um, so then we go on to... This is the Linnea Quigley scene, right, I believe? Yes, it yes. is. So we're introduced to... There's some carolers, and then we see there's... Uh, a house in the background, which has a, a pretty su- a series of sweet tiger paintings throughout the house. Oh, lots of tiger paintings. Yeah, I love that house. And some horse paintings. And some horse paintings. Yeah, it was a great... I love that house. I really wish I could have that house now. And a like pool a house table. From the 70s. Always yeah, wanted a pool room. table when I was a kid. Yeah, it was a sweet pool table in the rec room. Had a little sound system there. A little yeah, cassette. So, so Linnea Quigley, who is never really said, but I'm assuming she's a babysitter or an older sister or something. She's, she's, she's watching her kid sister on, on Christmas Eve or her, her young charge on Christmas Eve, I should say. Well, we, we start and they're having sex on the pool table. Her yeah. And her, uh, boyfriend. It's foreplay. Mm-hmm. Foreplay, uh, yeah. Foreplay at yeah. this point. The panties yeah. don't come off, kid. That's right. The jorts um, are on. The jorts yeah, are the still jorts. on. No, the jorts are off at this point. So oh, it's, right, it, it's Christmas on. Eve, and she her outfit is like a crop top and jorts. So, on a pool table. Yeah. They got good heating. They got central heating <laughs> in that house. Yeah. 
And so she's making out with her boyfriend. The boyfriend puts on, he's like, I'm sick of this Christmas shit. Puts on uh, a pretty nice time to get down record. Uh, some like pseudo Barry White comes on. They're making out. And then the little girl that they're watching comes and says like, Hey, Julie, I want to stay up to see Santa. And then she's like, how do I get rid of this kid? It's like, if you don't go to bed, Santa won't come. And the, then the guy who we call knockoff Emilio Estevez is just like, he won't be the only one that doesn't come tonight. <laughs> yeah. Whackity smackity do. Um, then, so like, so the little girl goes to bed and then there's, a, you know, a pawing at the front door and Linnea quickly is like, oh crap, I left the cat outside. So this is after she's taken her shirt off. She hops up off the pool table, puts on her- what did I say, guys? Uh-oh, Titty, Santa yep. better not be near. Or That's... Billy. Yeah. Billy, yeah. So anyway, she puts on her jorts, but no top, and answers the door topless in jorts on Christmas Eve. And to let the cat in. But then <laughs> there's this- Like, I, I love the moment, because she's like, is there someone else out here? No, guess not. Then all of a sudden, Billy just- His head, like, springs in front of frame and goes- Naughty, and, and she's like she slams, the slams the door. He busts it down with the axe. All the meanwhile, Emilio Estevez downstairs doesn't hear a thing because he's listening to that like Billy White makeup yeah, music. Billy White, Billy White, Barry Barry White, White. makeup music. And this is where we see the infamous. It was cut out from the theatrical release. This is the unrated version we watched. We see Billy hoist up Linnea Quigley and then slam her into the antlers on a deer's head to kill her. And the antlers come through her abdomen, out yeah, the front. Yeah, we see that happen, yeah. It's gruesome, it's gory, it's great. Um, <laughs> the three Gs. Yes. And at this point, Emilio Estevez downstairs is getting, you know, a little... Uh, the 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 spirit is starting the spirit is starting to wane. He's got a little soft way. there. Yeah, yeah he's, he's like, a... what is going on? That cat's ruining my night. Um, and then she, he goes upstairs and sees, oh no, my girlfriend's on some antlers. No, no, before he says, uh, hey, where are you? If, you? if you're not around here, I'm gonna murder you or some yeah. weird thing like I that. I know, he's no, about murdering the cat, yeah. Oh, the cat, he's gonna murder the cat. I'm gonna murder that cat. I'm like, who says they're gonna murder a cat? <laughs> Sweet little furball. Um, so then... He. What happens oh, I next? He was talking about his girlfriend. That's what I thought too. Now it was the cat. It makes more sense. To be and the then cat. he turns around and she's. She's, she's up on the antlers. By some antlers and, and him and kind of uh, keeps it together pretty well, actually. Yeah, he knows to instinctively fight the weird guy in the Santa he costume. Tries to call the, he tries to call the cops. Right, and then Billy stops him there, and then um, the guy he pulls out a fire poker and starts hitting Billy with it. Billy then tries to strangle him with the phone cord. And there's a fight back and forth that eventually ends when Billy chucks him out the window in which he gets impaled on a ton of glass and just kills him straight dead. So Emilio Estevez is well, no it's more. It's weird because we see him on the ground and he's got like shards of glass on him and it looks like, oh, I guess he's hurt. And then we see him a little later mm -hmm. and he's got like giant shards in his face. I think that might have been just the lighting in the, in the previous okay. shot didn't show it up so well. And then he, as, as Billy, you know, picks up his axe, goes to leave, the little girl's there and it's like, Santa? Santa, did you bring me a present? And Billy like turns and looks like Neil Zender is like, "Have you been a good girl this year?" And it's like this—I don't know where they find these kids. Like and these the kids, perfect little buck tooth, so, freckled face. I know, and just so innocent. Kids. And she's just like, "Yeah, I have I been." Eat them with a spoon. Yeah, yeah. Like the, it was clear the kids had no interaction with any of this bad stuff. No, yeah, thankfully, because they were all in separate shots. And she's like, "Of course I have Santa." And he's like, "You've been a good girl the whole year." She's like, "Yes." Have you been naughty? No, not at all, Santa. She does not slip up once. And then he's like, are you sure? Not even a little bit naughty? And she's like, no. She knows what to say. And then he reaches into his pocket and pulls out the same bloody box cutter that he used to kill Pamela in the store. And you think he's going to stab the little girl with it, but instead he gives it to her as a present. 
Yep. And the look on her face is kind of like, oh, great. A yeah, just cutter. covered in blood. <laughs> Not quite what I asked for, Santa, but okay. This could... well, it's from Santa, so... <laughs> it's technically a present, yeah. <laughs> I'm not very happy, Santa, but I'll be good next year, too. I guess I'll open my other presents with this. <laughs> yeah. I'll be better next year, Santa. <laughs> and um, where do we go from there? Oh, this is when we now meet young oh, Doug maybe Ford. he's trying to turn her to the bad side. She's going to be naughty now. Yeah, she's going to get gifts like this. People. Well, yeah. Well, she's the one that discovers the bodies, right? So they're going to, like, again, another kid traumatized. Silent Night, <laughs> Deadly Night 6. <laughs> mm. yeah. Needs to happen. The Santa Army. Um... It's actually good training, though, for, for these kids on how to deal with cops when they're adults. Just yeah. like, have you had anything to drink tonight? No, not at all, <laughs> officer. Nothing, nothing whatsoever. Really? Because you're, you're, you're slurring your speech. Not even a beer I'm earlier? Fine. Nope, nope. We were coming from Bible study. <laughs> Leave us alone, officer. Um, so then, uh, where are we now? This is when we now go to the... And I love the, I love the scene. It's just random kids tobogganing on Christmas Eve at like midnight for no apparent reason. One of them's wearing a Boston Red Sox hat, and then young Doug Ford shows up with his crony buddy, and the... They've just sold some hash or smoked some yeah. hash or done something with hash. Yeah, you know, plotting the downfall of carbon uh, taxing. And um, uh, they're like, hey, we want those toboggans. And, like, the, the younger kids, they put up a good fight at first. They're like, they have some backbone, but unfortunately, Doug Ford's girth just, like, wins them over. They even say, like, when I grow up, I want to be just like you, Billy. You suck, or whatever, Dougie. Or whatever. That's Bob and Mac. Are the Bob and Mac, the, yeah. The bullies? The two bullies, yeah. The Doug and the other one. Um, and so they like, you know, they steal these kids' toboggans, and the first guy goes By down. Way, all these kids are like 30. Yeah. <laughs> they all look Except for, old. although I do have to say, the, the toboggan kids looked about 20. Yeah, the, the bullied <laughs> kids look barely out of adolescence. All right, yeah. all right. Bullies are definitely. They're 35. Pushing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> almost middle age. They're older than me. <laughs> Shut up, kid. Um, almost middle age. Um, so then the, the first kid goes down and he's like, wow, that was so fun. And he's like, I don't like to toboggan in the dark. And he's like, what are you afraid? Doug's like, what are you afraid? You're going to hit something? Duh. And then Doug goes down and he's like, woo. And then, and then the guy goes to the bottom. He's like, yeah, come on down, Doug. This is awesome. And Doug gets on the thing. He's like, all right. And he's going through the woods and he's just having a ball. And then all of a sudden you see an ax, like Billy come out and go naughty and bam, just cuts his head right off, and then we see. Did they say punish? A uh, punish. Sorry, that's his main word. Punish and punish. Naughty. Or naughty. Or he naughty. Likes, he, he likes the both. It. He interchanges. He switches punish. it up. Yeah. Punish, and he cuts his head off, and then Doug Ford's <laughs> headless body goes down the rest of the trail on the um, on the toboggan, and his other friend is like, "Yeah, do it! <laughs> Come pretty, on down!" It's a great. And then scene, all of a sudden, really. he's like. Oh no! And then we see Doug's head roll down the t the uh, like the pathway behind him, and it stops. And then does that kid get it? Nope. No, no, that's another. The, and then the headless body just stops, like it hits a tree, the sled, and then it just plops. And then close the, the, to the, the head. head rolls around. Yeah. <laughs> but that's no. We uh, the other kid doesn't get it. That's another uh, trauma <laughs> carried forward for yeah. Silent Night, Deadly Night. Part seven. seven. By the way, Lillian, yeah. can you stoke the fire a little? It's getting a little chilly in here. Chestnuts? Do we have any chestnuts? I don't know. Graham, do you have any chestnuts? I think we've used them up. Oh, oh Graham! You do love your chestnuts, huh? Yes. So anyways, it's Christmas morning. <laughs> it's Christmas morning, and uh, a cop, um, the, uh, the nun, Sister Margaret, is at the police station where we meet the chief detective in, uh, like, at the head of this. And they're figuring out Hey, there might be a pattern to what he's doing. So he's dressed as Santa. He's reliving past trauma. Where could he possibly be heading on Christmas morning? 
And then she's like, oh no, the cut to the orphanage. And so uh, all the kids are outside, including Ricky, uh, Billy's younger brother. And, you know, they get the warning call, like, there's a Santa Claus coming, man, there's a Santa Claus that could, you know, kill you. And so, like, the cops arrive and they see this Santa Claus walking across the front yard of this orphanage. It's like the exact same thing. By the way, it's kind of funny that his little brother is still in the orphanage, right? Like, I know, like, I figured, like, his little brother, there was, like, a four year difference. So his little brother should be, like, older than he is in this. He looks like like 10. 14, but he looks like 10 or 9. Yeah. This film's not very... It's a little loose with the rules. Um, no, but at 16, he could have went and lived with his brother, no? Or something. Oh, that's true. He could have, yeah, lived with his older brother. What? Is his older brother what? has an apartment? I'm yeah. not even sure where Billy lives. That's Well, we saw the apartment. We saw the inside because he was sleeping there, remember? Because he's got that sweet job at the uh, at the toy store. Yeah. Sweet job. I remember seeing his apartment. Yeah. yeah. I missed out on Billy's apartment? How remember was it decorated? When he, remember when he's having... There, it, was, it was dark. Were there tigers? It was dark, no. But you remember when he's like... Um, Not he's having, bad, yeah. He's having the, the nightmare about him having oh, sex. Oh, that's right. He has a fantasy. Mm-hmm. Well, that goes wrong because Which an evil Santa Claus shows up. Yeah. He has nightmares every night, I think. Like, maybe around Christmas. And then he yeah, hides probably. in his corner. And he's, uh, I do remember he that. It's coming back to me. Yeah. So anyways, um, there's a Santa Claus coming up and... It's the same suit as Billy. It's got to be Billy. And then the cops pull up behind. They're like, stop, stop. And Ricky reaches out to the Santa Claus. And the Santa Claus reaches out to Ricky. And the cop just unloads his gun right into Santa's back and shoots him dead. And it turns out it was a deaf priest who every Christmas comes and greets the children on Christmas morning dressed as Santa. Because they were like, well, the, the description is all wrong. This guy was in his 50s. Oh, no, it was Father O'Houlihan. Oh, but I I, I wish he would have stopped. I told him to freeze and drop the gun, and... Oh, but he's deaf. He's deaf, you morons. I heard you. I think it was Father O'Brien. Father o- O'Brien. O'Houlihan. I know, I like O'Houlihan. Or, or, no, Father O'Houlihan was... I forget now. It was Father O'Brien. I, I was wrong. There was a Father Murphy as well, yeah. I think. Father oh, Irish. Yes. Yeah. The there whole. are no Mormons in this Utah town. No, it's very it's, surprising. Doesn't have a great, uh, not a great I'll look, look at, on at Catholicism, Catholicism there. No. <laughs> yeah, even in like their charitable things, running orphanages and like taking care of children on Christmas. Yeah. Um, Although uh, I've seen a few documentaries that yeah, there's some frightful things going on yeah. with those orphanages. Yeah. Yeah. So this film is actually quite accurate. If you. It's not not far off. Not far off. So, anyways, um, at this point. You know, Mother Superior is in a wheelchair, and she takes the, I don't know why, an Irish sound, wheelchair. Um, deviation. The facial deviation. Um, she she uh, leads the children on the, uh, the saddest. The saddest. The saddest Deca rendition of Decahals that I've ever heard. Come on, like, children, we know you just sing. saw Santa Claus shot murdered, death in front of you. But that's no reason to ruin Christmas morning. <laughs> that's all. Sing some songs. Put it on the record, Ricky. And then at this point... You know, the the cop is outside, like, trying to find out, like, where is this guy? So he finds this weird shed that leads to an underground basement. I guess it's, like, the boiler room for the orphanage or something with an outside access for some reason. And, like, yeah, he goes to this whole idea. tense thing of, like, going down. Type thing. It's, like, all brick down there. Right? I think it's yeah. just storage. Something like that, yeah. A root cellar back in the day. Um, so, anyways, the they're, like, he's, like, goes down and he's, like... Oh, I, I, like it's so so tense because he's like looking around every corner and he can't find them. And then as just as he's coming up out of the out of the stairwell to the doorway, wham! Ricky gets him with the axe. Right in the chest. Punish. Yeah. Which 
Which led to Kit uh, referencing Billy. Billy, sorry, which led to Kit referencing a great Simpsons episode where Willie dies in every single segment of the Halloween. Ra- and you said, "Ah, I'm bad at this." Yeah, that's when Maggie gets him with the axe in uh, in the third segment of um, of that Simpsons uh, Halloween episode, which is a great one. And then we get that great uh, shot of the axe dripping with blood. I know, and then he just oh, decapitates. Iconic, iconic shot. And then there's a snowman in the in the background, and we're like, I bet he like decapitates that snowman. And he totally we were even just like, does. I hope he decapitates that. And he, and he does, does. He does with his bloody axe. And then like he goes to the front door, and one of the kids just spots oh, him. And he doesn't say punish to the snowman. No, it's just the snowman. He, he's, he's got his wits about him. Yeah, he's, he, he knows the snowman hasn't done anything. He just doesn't like him. Um, so then he goes to the front door, and uh, we're seeing it, and the kids see him, but Mother Superior doesn't. And this little kid goes up to the front door, and all the nuns are like, no, don't open the door. And so they open it, like the little boy opens up the door, and all the kids are like, it's Santa Claus again. And so the... Um, Mother Superior. Yeah, Mother Superior is like, no, get away, get away, get away. And then finally the kids leave him alone. And she's just like, but the kids are like, but it's Santa Claus. And she's like, there is no Santa Claus. And she keeps repeating it. And Billy's just like, don't say that. You're being naughty. And he raises the axe to go and kill Mother Superior. But then he gets shot in the back, shot in the back yeah. by the detective and drops dead right in front of his younger brother, Ricky. And then finally, and then he rolls over and says, you're safe now, children. Santa is gone. So that's why I'm, I'm assuming that like he was inhabiting the persona of the Santa Claus killer. So then we pan up to Ricky, who looks over at Mother Superior. He looks over and he says, naughty. Freeze frame credits. Awesome. Yeah. Best ending ever. Which leads us to Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2. Most movies should end that way. With, yeah. with the little boy saying, oh, naughty. naughty child. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, man. He looked like he got, like, socks on... It's really what Citizen on, Kane was like, missing, I think. He looked like he got socks on Christmas when he inspe- expected, like, a Tonka truck or something. Oh, That's the kind of look he had I on had his face. I had a few Tonka trucks on Christmas morning. Yeah. So, guys... Must have been nice. Yeah, I never had Tonka yeah. trucks. I don't know why I never... No, I had a Tonka... Tonka some Tonka truck. I don't think I had it on Christmas. I always remember just being there. Maybe a backhoe one time. Ooh, the backhoe yeah. with the thing where you could... Oh. Like, yeah. Those were the days. Super disappointed is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. One one of the kids had a pretty decent Miss Piggy doll. I know we saw it. It It's like a screen accurate Miss Piggy uh, puppet. Yeah. Or a Muppet rather. So guys, we've come to that part of the podcast. Our final thoughts. Phil, what is your final thoughts on Silent Night, Deadly Night? I don't know if I can really expand on my uh, my final thoughts because, yeah, it's, it's skeevy. It's bleak and wonderful and wonderful and yeah i i enjoyed it mm-hmm. kit what are your final thoughts I, I could see this being like a christmas tradition like watching. i know right it's kind of become one of mine i mean you can't take the film too seriously is the no. thing. and obviously you're not showing this to kids no um, which every reviewer seemed to think was the point of the movie like if anybody like when i was like, the magic of christmas was very important i mean it still yeah. sort of is as an mm-hmm. adult like i do appreciate that kind that of feeling. feeling, yeah. And like it's, obviously, it's, it's, the commercialization of Christmas is is not so great, mm-hmm. and all of this stuff that the fact that, that it's mid November and like if you walk into any shopping center right now, it's Christmas 
friggin' day. Yeah, they start that even a little bit before our Halloween. Uh, Halloween now. I know. Um, There's a, like I used to always love going in like the week after Halloween and getting all the discounted Halloween stuff. But like literally, if on Halloween you walk into a store, like I go to Walmart on, they're on setting Halloween, up for Christmas. Christmas yeah. has over supplanted Halloween. Halloween is done on Halloween, which was Christmas. a which a nice touch in the uh, in Mr. Sims department store as we saw some discount Halloween yeah. costumes. I know because they should still be around. God darn it. Um, but yeah, like no, I like I understand the magic of Christmas that being important mm-hmm. and all that. But this it's just like it's silly. Get, people can't compartmentalize. Like yeah. I guess when they were advertising, it was a bit um, mm-hmm. risque. It was a bit uh, pushing the envelope a yeah, little. Yeah, like here's Santa Claus killing people. Although the the interesting thing is, and Phil, I think you pointed out to me before we actually recorded that the advertising actually said that it, it's not Santa Claus. Yes, and yeah, I guess that went over people's heads yeah it's hard sometimes but i i think it was just on principle the fact that oh they're quote-unquote sullying christmas with uh, their bloody movie but yeah. the other thing the other thing too is that like the reviewers because we we want we um on the blu-ray there is a bonus of like reviews of the film and we watched all of them and they were all kind of pointing out that that like they assumed the intent of the movie was for children to see it, which makes no sense. Well, I could see mm-hmm. it, the average. They show the ads when kids mm-hmm. can see it, so can see the ads. Yeah, that would make kids want to see it. Kind of like us in RoboCop in the when are you sure? Yeah, RoboCop we're three. trying to run Friday the thir- Friday the Thirteenth movie at a sleepover. We've yeah. been those kids. Yeah, yeah, this is true. But uh, yeah, yeah, every single one of those reviewers—well, not every single one, but most of them—were just tripping over themselves to get shoehorned yeah. some Dickens reference in there. Yeah, that was, like, that was hilarious. If Charles the same Dickens was review a review yeah. every single time. Yeah, from the friggin' Baltimore. <laughs> I'm Gazette. sure. I'm sure at least a few kids successfully snuck, snuck into- in. Remember that one that used to be hard. Now, just like the person behind the counter doesn't give a crap. Like, oh yeah. Is that, yes. is that true? Yeah. I've, I've, I'm not a kid these days, no so one, I have no uh, idea. Well, the thing is, most of the time, they don't check. Well, like, you can buy your own tickets from a kiosk with your own credit or debit card. So, like, someone who's, like, 16 with a, with a debit card, and I had a debit card at age 12, so, you know, we've all had that. Um, I remember uh, being a shopkeeper at a Blockbuster, mm-hmm. and it was obvious, like, kids coming up with a rated yeah. R movie. I'm like... Sorry, guys. This is not uh, not going to fly. You have to bring in a parent to I do think this for you. I think that's been gone now because no one enforces it. Well, However, also, working at a bookstore, yeah. now a kid will come up with, like, it, and I'm like, wait a minute. Hmm. What am I supposed to do here? <laughs> I'm glad you're reading, but... Uh, I guess I can sell you this book. Harry Potter, or maybe, like, not... Maybe start with, you know, a different Stephen King novel that doesn't feature a child gangbang. I, I've heard that... I've heard that, like, um... Has passed the child a copy yeah. of Four Seasons or something. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I've heard in the states there have been music shops that have refused to sell uh, CDs but, with. But that was uh, back in the day. That's not advisory. now, though, yeah, right? You know, that's the thing. Like everything. Like we've we've kind of like in the era where no one really is concerned with physical media. Like I, I, there's so much apathy when you walk into a multiplex now from the people working there. Like it's really disgusting in my opinion like that that's more disgusting than this film is the fact that like nobody there gives a crap of like oh this 12 year old just bought a ticket to some r-rated you know action film we're not gonna not let him in whereas like i remember i, I don't know is that true yes yes I've been, you've been you've been witness I've seen to kids them just waltz on by and they're like oh you got the ticket well it's easier to get I, into r-rated movies because yeah. they can bring in adults yeah, but the thing is, my my other, but these are kids without ad- adults. Like, and I also know someone who's in his thirties and clicks 
child ticket to get a discount when he goes to a movie. And I'm like, seriously? And he's like, yeah, they don't check. And they don't. It's like, oh, this children's ticket for this 30-something-year-old man. Oh, gosh. I feel like I should start doing that. But no, I'm not. No, we don't. We do seniors. Seniors discount? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm a very spry 65 years old. <laughs> I just look really good. Weren't the 70s just the best? <laughs> yeah, you should get, like, one of those masks, old man masks they wear in Trash Humpers. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. So, so what else is your final thought, Kit? Uh, oh, what was I saying? Just, like... I don't know. I, I I like this film. I think it's just another mm. goofy like slasher yeah. film, which is fun to watch. Don't, yes. Don't take it too seriously. No. Don't think about it too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, there's there's far worse out there. Oh yeah, like we were just saying, a Serbian film, Cannibal Holocaust, The Human Centipede. The Human Centipede, which I've never seen. I don't, no, The Human Centipede Part Two and Three. Yeah, there's three of them. Mm-hmm. Someone thought that would be a good idea. <laughs> the final sequence. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I, I, it's fun. I, I don't know. I don't know where it ranks up with the Christmas, Chris, Christmas, Christmas slasher film genre. I think which, it's, I think it's just burgeoning. Uh, yeah, and there's, I know. There's I, I like those. it. I think it's probably above. It's above Silent Night, Bloody Night. It's above my two front teeth. It's above Troll, Troll, no, Elves for sure. Black Christmas. Um, I don't think it's above Black Christmas. I'm guessing it's above Krampus. I haven't seen Krampus, so I can't say. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I'd say it's probably above Krampus. It's probably on par with with Christmas Evil. Santa sleigh. But Christmas Evil is like a whole different kind of weirdness to it. Like the guy Christmas watching Evil kids. Is the one we watched, right? Yes, yeah. the one we watched last year. I don't know when Graham's releasing that one. It'll, but go, up it this, could... it'll go up before this episode. Okay, so listeners, yeah. you know of our, our, our Christmas take Evil. on Christmas yeah. Evil. And you know of all our best of... What uh, year was Christmas Evil? Just kind of to put it beside this. 1980. Yeah, 1980. Oh. It was before, but it wasn't as widely released, I don't no, think. And no, it also wasn't as explicitly gruesome. No, because it was about a guy that believed he was Santa, and just, like, his mania drove him over the edge. Yeah. It probably wasn't advertised during Little House on the Prairie, too, which is... Probably like, wasn't advertised at all, to be honest. Yeah. So... Yeah, that was, like, a Grindhouse-type mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. I did love John Waters... Um, I listened to John Waters' commentary on it, where he's just like, this is totally about a guy, about a cross-dresser who's, like, super thrilled that he's passing. Um, and they also just said, like, man, this kid, he was just like, that Santa is so pervy spying on those children. Yeah, he does. Yeah. And he keeps a little book. Yeah. Well, you, Naughty you, and you, nice. You've heard. Yeah. You, you would have heard. Viewer. Listener. Listener. Yeah. So, Although Lillian, I guess you could view the progress of the uh, podcast yeah. as it's going along. That's you true. Be, you could be watching the line. Christmas Evil fucked with Christmas a little bit, too. Yeah, but it didn't It didn't get the same kind of, like, it, it wasn't widely released. That's the thing, like, Black Christmas was independently released. Um, Christmas Evil was independently released. Um, uh, Tales from the Crypt, which had the killer Santa, that was a British production. What that about, w- like, the one where the Martians steal Santa Claus? What was that one? Martians steal Santa Claus. The, the Martian, little aliens come and, like, um, steal Santa Claus. It was on one of your, uh, your like Christmas Oliver's CDs. Santa and the Martians? Come on. Oh, the oh, oh, Santa Claus conquers the Martians. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just like, what are you talking about? Santa Claus and the Martians? I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, you mean Santa Claus conquers the Martians? <laughs> yes, that that film. No, but that but that was a, that was a family film though. Yeah, I know. No. Yeah. It wasn't dark at all. Uh, and Invasion USA followed Santa Oh yeah, Invasion film. USA, yeah. But that that didn't that didn't feature Chuck Norris killing Santa Claus. No, it featured communists. Uh, yeah, killing, killing Christmas. Christmas. Christmas that doesn't I don't think was made I don't think anyone who actually celebrated Christmas made that film because the way it's just like people decorating a tree outside makes no sense. Um 
and kids making out in cars on Christmas Eve. I don't get it. Um, anyways, Lillian, what are your final thoughts Tom on... Tom Cruise goes to weird sex parties on Christmas. So. Good for him. Uh, Lillian, what are, what's your final thought on... <laughs> sorry, I don't know why I, I was so shot that I'm like, I don't give a crap about Tom Cruise's sex parties. That's a nice wide shut reference. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so are there pool tables? They're screening that uh, at the Royal next, uh, next it's month. It's one of my favorite non-traditional Christmas movies. Yep. Um, so, Lillian, what are your final thoughts on Silent Night, Deadly Night? Um... <sighs> Yeah, like I, 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 I'm a little bit surprised it got such backlash, right? But um, for its time, I, I guess. I guess for its time, yeah, sure. Everything's got its kind of time and place and effect and all that. Um, the, like I, I'm just kind of like, like you said, Kit. Like you know, don't take it so seriously. Um, the only, the only main thing that kept kind of slapping me in the face was how trauma can ricochet, right? And how this mother superior was just kind of like shutting him up this whole time. Like this kid needs help. He's struggling. He's having these nightmares, and just it's triggered by Christmas clearly. And uh, it shutting it off and ignoring it just resulted in you know a snowball, snowball and <laughs> snowball effect of uh, trauma and terror. Like all the kids around. It, it's right? actually, and I did say mm-hmm. don't take this too seriously, but it does. I don't know, there's a conversation to be had about how horror films are actually dealing with things that mainstream Trauma, films yeah. don't, you know? Mm-hmm. I agree. That's, they always, the, you know, it's, it, you can't really consider this outsider art. And it, so I wanted to point out one thing. Kate, you asked where was the TriStar the, with the horse. It's because the producer of the film, Ira something or other, had to buy back the rights to the film from TriStar because they pulled it from theaters and would not release it. So he had to, like, buy the rights back and then self-release it in 1986. Um, or 1985, and then in 1986 it was released on video, which was super popular, which is why we had four sequels to it. I believe it did have a brief theatrical re-release in 1985 yeah, it with did. a new distributor, mm-hmm. where they folk, where they used the controversy for it was Aquarius releasing, yeah. I believe, which was the company that released a lot of the um, Italian exploitation films in the in the late 70s and early 80s. And it brought in more that it beat. Nightmare on Elm Street at the box office. The opening weekend. The opening weekend, yeah, before before it got pulled. Wikipedia. The Wikipedia page also notes that, however, with the caveat that um, it was on 150 more screens than Nightmare on Elm Street that weekend. But nevertheless, it was. The thing about Nightmare on Elm Street is that Nightmare on Elm Street didn't really become a phenomenon until Part Three. Hmm. That was when it really became. Still did well enough that they rushed Mm -hmm. uh, the sequel of the months after the first one. Freddy's Revenge, yeah. So anyways, guys, that was Silent Night, Deadly Night, Part 1. Maybe next year we'll do Part 2. Maybe we'll try and watch Part 3 again. I don't think so. Uh, let's not. That was, that was, that was a rough one. Um, but yeah. Is, what happens in that one, if I may? Uh... I can't remember. It just wasn't good. It's very long and slow. Basically, Ricky, who gets brain damaged at the end of Part 2, gets a, not a brain transplant, but they do some experimental procedure where he's got like part of his brain is exposed and there's like a a plastic skull on him and he escapes and goes on to try and kill these people that were in the hospital at the same time he was that are celebrating Christmas at this remote house. It's very slow. It's very boring. Nothing really happens. The end. But it was directed by Monty Hellman. And Monty Hellman for a long time said that it was his, out of all the films he made, it was his most satisfying because he was able to finally come in on time and on budget and get everything he needed. Monty Hellman, a very good director. Anyways, guys. We want to 
wish you guys a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We hope that your holidays are full of joy and cheer, regardless of what faith you are or what you celebrate or don't celebrate. You take this time to reflect on the year gone by and the potential for the year ahead of you and all the wonderful times you'll experience and the crazy movies we'll be bringing to you. So, for the last time in 2018, for Death by Video... I've been Phil. We're not doing a New Year's episode? That's going to be episode 50, which will launch after the New Year. Okay. I've been Kit, then. Oh, and by the way, that episode, our episode 50, is going to be Ed Wood's Plan 9 from Outer Space. Dun, the, dun, dun. the original Crazy B film that had to be seen to be believed. Anyways, Death by Video, that was Kit. And I'm Lillian. And I've been Graham saying, please be sure to rewind, and we'll see you next time. It's time to put another log on the fire. We'll turn down the lights. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Nose? Toes? Nose, toes, toes, whatever. He nips it, Phil. Phil. I forget the other line. So do I. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. To you. (laughs) I've been Graham. Thank you very much. Good night. Cheers, everyone. Good night, one and all. What's that sound up on the roof? I hear sleigh bells. Oh, my gosh. It's Santa Claus. Oh, no. It's Billy. (laughs) Oh, no. Are my titties showing? (laughs) (laughs) Merry Christmas, everybody. Ha 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 ha